it's, this is a, a, a 35-year message in the preparation, really. It, it's, as I've looked back and when Greg says, oh, do you want to speak on the 24th? Um, you know, after I'd been invited on the eldership. So it was kind of like, oh, okay, here's the test. <laughs> you know, what are you going to say? No. <laughs> but, but, you know, I thought, you know, yeah, yeah, of course, absolutely. Huh? Might be the first, <laughs> might be the last. But, you know, I, th- I look back, for as far back as I can remember, I was brought up in a Catholic family. And, you know, you go to church, do all the things, all the bizos and all the rest of it. And I remember when I was probably somewhere around 15, we, we went on a holy day of obligations. I had to trot along off to, uh, off to a mass. And uh, we went to a, this church, never been to this particular um, church building before. And uh, we all sort of sitting there, and I'm sitting in one of the seats right at the back. And, you know, for, for, for many years I've been to a church and I'm saying, well, God, you know, I, I believe you. I believe you're there. I believe you're real. But, you know, I don't know, give us a wink or something, you know, because you've got all these statues all around the place inside the church, you know. Give us a nod and a wink or something, you know. I know you can do it, you know. Put a blood drip out the hand or something, you know. I mean, never did. And, uh, you know, one day when I was sitting there, and, you know, God's got a sense of humour. He really has. In fact, tonight, I was, uh, you know, I was sitting there saying, oh, you know, Lord, how are we going to do this? Where are we going? He says, actually, son, just have fun. I said, but Lord, it's quite a serious thing I want to talk about. And he says, yeah, but have fun. You know, anyway, so I was at the service and I was thinking there was a bird, blackbird, flying around up in the front in the, the Catholic Church because you've got a, a, a crucifix, it's a cross with Christ still on it. And the bird was flying around up there and I was sort of thinking of, of Jesus and the dove and everything. I thought, oh, wouldn't that be funny if that went and flew and landed on someone's head? Well, the very next thing it did was just turn around and it flew straight and landed on my head. <laughs> and took off again. And I sort of gingerly just went, um... There's <laughs> a little deposit of anything left. But, you know, even back then, and I just remember, you know, I... I, in my heart was a yearning, a desire. I want, I want to talk about Jesus, but I don't really want to be a priest. Don't, don't know why that was there. I mean, I, we had some really um, good priests uh, and good priest experiences. I know there's a lot of shocking ones that you hear about, but I had some really good priest experiences, you know. And um, you know, old Father O'Sullivan, don't know how I got onto this, but anyway, here I am. He used to stand up and, and be, you know, for sure, and he'll give us a little sermon, you know, and he'd rock back and forth, and he said, I can't quite do it like he used to, you know, and he'd take Irish accent of Italian audience, so what is he saying, I don't know, but he had this little sway on, so I figured, well, that's how you must preach, you know. <laughs> even even the uh, uh, schools I went to, was the Marist brothers, um, I remember one year, oh, I'm going to need to see my counsellor wife after this, now brought all this up, <laughs> one year was an absolute shocker, absolute shocker. Just the way the, the teacher and the, the, you know, the people you liked were at the front row and you progressively got um, less liked until you're on the extremities. Well, I was on the extremity, <laughs> the extreme of the extreme. And I couldn't figure out why. What did I done? I'm a nice guy. You know, what did I do wrong? And, uh, but that year was an absolute shock. But I remember old um, Brother James. And one day I just fell into his arms weeping and just felt secure in his embrace around me, and safe, and uh, it was going to be okay. And, uh, yeah, 35 years later it was. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's one thing 
that as I was thinking about this, you know, I'm so grateful. You know, when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. You know, the very first two words he uses changes the whole paradigm about God. It's not, it's, it's, it's in what he didn't say. You know, because he didn't go, oh, Elohim, or mighty creator of all the, he said, our Father. And immediately he did two things. He united himself with the disciples and allowed them to understand that he was with them. And then he, he would you know, turn their direction, help them to see God actually as Father. And to start to un- unravel and unpack some of that stuff, that you could see God as, um, as Father. One of the things I really wanted to, um, to, to, to talk about tonight was to try and lead us into um, a place that's, that's going to help us progress forward, to go, to go from where we are now to perhaps give some keys. Um, Derek Prince used to talk about you know, keys for successful living. Well, you know, I hope that this is a key to successful living, how to progress forward from where we are now. And there are two things that I really wanted to establish. And uh, as, I, as, I, as I was preparing this, I think, you know, I've I got my little chairing committee over here. We meet with them on Thursday. And uh, I've run, a, <laughs> run quite a few things past them. But today, I'm thankful they didn't bring their tomatoes. Um, <laughs> that's right, I bought a net to catch them so I could take them home. You know, that in, in the, before we came down here, I was actually uh, um, on staff at Martua Baptist church there and I worked there part-time as a family pastor and used to run the children's program. You know, and what you guys see of me and what you know of me is probably just a smidgen really of what I'm really like. Those who I spend a bit more time with really start to see um, Paul unpack and who he really is. Um, and definitely so. Uh, ask my kids, you'll get, uh, yeah, you get two world views from them. <laughs> um, but, but with the kids' ministry, it was neat because I just loved being in front of the kids and telling the stories and, and getting involved with them. And I found that the parents actually started to come along. I'd have a lot of fun and I'd trip into um, different voices and stuff. And I'd yeah, no, tell you about me, old mate, Moses, you know, because he is a great bloke. God spoke to him and said, You've got to go and tell Pharaoh, he's got to let my people go, you know. And he told Moses, go to Pharaoh and he'd say, yeah, so you've got to let his people go. They're fed up worshipping, you know, like a cow and a dung beetle. I mean, what's that about? Well, he said, ain't going to happen, mate. Now, I ain't got figured out why Pharaoh speaks like this, but there you go. <laughs> you know, and... He says, I'll make an ardour. Or Moses, this is a bit, it was kind of weird for me. I thought, these guys are a bit sick. They're a bit dumb. Because he'd say, look, I'll show you. God sent me a wham and a stick turning a snake. Well, he's Pharaoh's mate said, we can do it. You wish that. Bang, and they got snakes. It's like a blinking snake pit. And Moses' snake gobbles up the ones. And it's like, oh, so, oh, that's not so good. <laughs> anyway, another time Moses he says, look, I'll show you something. You've got to let my people go. Says, no, not going to happen. All right, watch this. And he holds up the staff and 
the whole river's all turned to blood. You know, and the other fellows, they're thinking, all right, and they hold up their things. It's all blood. It's all, what are you doing? It's already blood. We want water. We're strong, mate. You know? I don't know where that came from, but anyway. <laughs> but, but it was this, this whole thing that, that, oh, hang on, there's this part. And then there's a part where it's deadly serious. We actually start to understand the blood that he was talking about at that end of the Bible, right at the beginning. And the blood that you see that's running bridle deep at the other end. All's talking about it, some blood that was shed right in the middle. And it's talking about Christ. And something that he's done for us that will transform our lives. I want to make a bold statement. It's something uh, that I think will change uh, the shape of your life where if you ask yourself, what do I believe? Or, or more importantly, perhaps if you ask yourself, how do I know what I believe? Because we all, you know, we'll sing the songs. Well, that's pretty clever. <laughs> oh, I should look at that one. <laughs> what do I believe? We all, we all sing the songs and we all say the words and we all do the, the trippy stuff. But do we really believe it? I mean, one day I was at a service, and I can remember where I was standing at Taronga Worship Centre, and a fantastic time of worship, and singing away, you know that song, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul. Can't remember how the rest of it goes. Every breath I take, every moment I'm awake, I give you everything. Really? Eh? It was like God suddenly called me on it. Yeah. Oh. Uh-oh. Well, how am I going to respond? Do I want that? To... Absolutely. Well, are you going to mean it? Oh, uh, um, actually, yeah, I do. So what about all these other people around here, Lord? Well, I'm talking to you, Paul. Ah. Oh. Well, Lord, I do mean it. And I want, I want every breath I take Every moment I'm awake, every moment I want it to be in you, and then starts to unpack a whole life journey. You know, Anne and I prayed one day when we realised things were happening in our lives and stuff, and we said, Lord, we, we've seen this in your word, and it says, well, I, I, we don't want wood, hay, and stubble. I read about that. That bit gets burnt up. That's not so good. Lord, we want gold and, and silver and stuff like that. <laughs> and he calls you on it goes, really? Actually, yes, Lord, we do. And we don't know what that means, but we just hope that you walk with us through this to find this out. And stuff happens. You know, major stuff happened anyway. And through that, there's a 35-year process that God starts to unravel, unpack stuff that he's working on in our lives and in my life. So I want to ask a question. And I mean, I know it's really uncomfortable often when a, you know, someone up front is preaching away and they ask a question because you just don't know. Is that rhetorical? Does he actually want me to give an answer? Well, unless I'm actually asking you to give me an answer, it's all rhetorical, right? So you don't have to put your hand up or anything like that. Two things I said at the start really wanted to really fix in place or to help us fix in place and move forward. First one is about salvation. Has there anyone ever thought... I'm saved. Oh, what if I lose my salvation? You know, I used to think once I got saved and get to heaven, uh-oh, what if I sin when I get in heaven? 
then I'll be kicked out. Can that happen? I don't know. Happened to Satan. Uh-oh. Might happen to me. That's no good. I'll get to heaven, then I'll get kicked out. I had to unpack a whole bunch of stuff as thinking, and, and you know, where's this come from? How do I know that I'm secure? So I, I really just want you to think about that question. Um, is my salvation secure? And I want to I encourage you and say, yes, it is. If you're born again, if you've asked Jesus Christ into your life, you're born again, you're saved. And how do you know you're saved? What's the response in your heart when you're talking about Jesus? When someone else is around you is talking about Jesus, does your heart lift to it? Or does your heart want to shun and run away from it? And if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity at the, you know, later on tonight to find him, to come to him, at least to take a step forward and say, I might not know, I understand all about it, but I want to try and start that journey. Um, you know, Hebrews 11 talks about that you know, without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe first that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him diligently. When you're worshipping and God calls you on it, he's asking, is your heart sold after me and you're going to go after me? Say yes. Because I'll tell you what, he'll unpack some amazing stuff and things that, that God started to uh, reveal to me over the last three years in particular that have been built on stuff that I've been built, uh, been built into my life through his word. He started to bring clarity and truth to and understanding. But I know that that wouldn't have come if I hadn't spent all those years reading it and seeking him diligently, looking, at, looking for him. So I want to encourage you first. First you must believe, but you've got to believe in what? Plenty, plenty of people believe in all sorts of things. Spacemen, I don't know. I used to believe in spacemen. Some might think I am one. I used to believe in spacemen, and maybe that was how it all came, until they suddenly figured out, well, okay, well, where did they come from? You know? You believe in other gods, all sorts of things. Well, the Bible says you believe in Jesus Christ. We must have faith. We must have faith in God and his plan. That we must have faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. And we must have faith uh, that comes to Jesus from God. You know, John 14, 6, boy, that's pretty preacher looking, isn't it? John 14, 6, said Jesus, uh, they asked him, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, that's a pretty definitive, but not too much leeway for something else. Then John 6.44, this is no one come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I'll raise them up on the last day. So we can't come to the Father unless we come through Jesus. And we can't come to Jesus unless the Father draws us. And then it says, Ephesians 2.8, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And then Hebrews 11, Now faith has been sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. There's this whole link of things tying together that our salvation is based first it's on, on faith, on belief in God. It's on Jesus Christ and Him alone. It's on the work of the Holy Spirit as the Father draws us that brings, it, uh, brings us into Him. And if you've got your Bibles with you, have a look. Turn to Colossians 2, 13, 14.
this is something that, that if, you know, if, you're, if, you, if you've ever been unsure, if you're ever questioning, where am I at? What is the salvation? Is it secure? Can it be moved? Can I lose it? Can I not? Mark this down at the front of your Bible. You know, you're allowed to actually write in your Bible, so I bought this one here. I've got a little reason to show you later on. But um, one day I thought, oh, I need to write out. And I'll go through this and see what the Bible says about love and about father and about heart. And pretty soon I found I've got an orange Bible. It's, it's just thick with it. Colossians 2, 13 to 14. When you, you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Hang on to that, because he's done it. Now, Kirk spoke uh, a little while back, and he, and he um, spoke about something that he was struggling with. Oh, a phone bill, that's right. They had a phone bill, and I was struggling how to pay for it. Oh, what can we do, what can we do? And they finally went into sort of paying it, and the guy said, actually, um, that's paid for, it's all done. Oh, are you sure? We must owe something. No, it's, it's complete. We must be able to give something to it. So, no, I don't think you understand. It's zero. It's dealt with. It's done. And it, it just reminded me with Christ when Jesus was on the cross and he said, test out this guy. That means it's complete. There's nothing more you can do. In fact, there's nothing you can do. He did it all. If there was something that I have to do, if there's something that I have to behave in a certain way, or I've got to be a bit more goodera, or I've got to do something. That's adding to what Jesus had to do. In fact, if that was the case, God didn't answer Jesus' prayer when he said, Lord, if there's another way. Oh, well, actually there is, Jesus. You'll only have to do a half job on the cross, and Paul Costello, 2,000 years later, he'll have to just do a little bit more effort, and that'll add to it. It doesn't work that way. He says, you can't do it. This is it's got to be done this way. And there's something that will come up shortly that we'll look at, and it's the reason why it had to be that way. But I really want to encourage you to hang on to that, that there is no other way. Salvation is in Christ and in Christ alone. We talk about being saved. We talk about saved from the penalty of sin, saved from the, pres- uh, from the power of sin, and saved from the presence of sin. We talk about justification, sanctification, and glorification. The first one is justification. It talks about just as if I'd never sinned. That was the work that Jesus did. The second part talks about, and that's saved uh, from the penalty of sin. The next one talks about um, sanctification, which talks about being saved from the power of sin. That's a bit of sanctification work that um, God's doing, or that the Lord's doing, in our lives now. The word sanctification is a big flash word, but really it means to set apart for special use and holy use. That's the work that God's doing in us. And fortunately, he gives us a lifetime to work through that. And these are some of the things that, um, that the Lord started to reveal to me and to unpack to me. That first one around salvation, when I really finally grabbed hold of that and thought, Actually, I see this now, Lord. And he showed me one day the stadium. 
um, Westpac Stadium, they play the rugby and all that downtown here. And so when you're saved, you're in the stadium. You know, Hebrews talks about the great crowd of witnesses that surround us. Whether it's the fact that they're all around us watching now, or it's talking metaphorically in the sense that there's a great cloud that's come behind us, that's urging us on and cheering us forward. Either way, it's the fact that we're there and you get saved. When you're born again, you can't be unborn again. You know, you're your parent's child. You can't unbecome that. So when you're born again, you are God's child. Born again, accept him, you're in the stadium. Now there's something else that takes place. Oh, I can sit down on the track and go, well, this is cool. Or he can say, actually, you need to engage in what's going on inside the stadium. That's something that we want to have a look at and start to unpack now. Part of that was realising, can we just have the first slide up? Starting to realise, how do I see myself? And some of these images on here, you might find a little bit strange, maybe the next lot, but... uh, I wonder if it was the best I could do to try and think, how can I get a, a picture, an image to help me grab hold of how I actually see myself and how God sees me? On the left was the best picture I could get for for glorified state of Jesus Christ. That would be on the right. On the left there was the picture of someone who was a beggar. And see myself really when I compare myself with Christ. I'm there. When I'm in the stadium and I'm engaging in things, the things of God, and the, one of the hardest things we do is that we end up comparing ourselves as we get in the skies. And Paul talks about being a race or being like a boxer and getting the race and you're running the race down the track. And we've got this great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on. Ooh, go Paul, go on you, good thing. Yeah, start walking, buddy, get on with it. And you're cheering, you know, you're running away. And you go, oh, wonder how good I'm doing. And then I turn around and have a look, see the other guy, and go, oh, not so good, actually. He's a lot faster than me. Oh, oh I'm no good. I'm, I can't do this. And, and please hear what I'm saying uh, tonight. It's, conviction talks about how God is leading us into him, what I need to do to change something in my heart to lead into him. Condemnation talks about that. Ah, I'm no good. That's dumb. I'm stupid. I can't. If you hear that in your head, that is condemnation and it's not from God. So I want to encourage you, if you hear that, there's a way to deal with it. So just, just, just take it as it comes. Or I look the other way. Ha! Doing pretty good. <laughs> I'm beating him. A lot better than that guy, yeah. Get up at five o'clock in the morning, pray for an hour. Woohoo! Pray for an hour at night too. Yes, man. Go to the morning service and the evening service. Even came out and cheered Paul on one night. Yes, <laughs> you know. I'll even tithe ten and a half percent. You know, that's not how it is. Go to the next slide. Please. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've been working out. <laughs> Which way did he go? Over there. 
<laughs> you know, that's what happens though. You're running the race. I'm better. I'm doing pretty good. Man, I read the Bible, even got a concordance. Don't know what it means, but I got one. <laughs> Thompson's chain. Don't know if I put it on my bike or what, but I got one of them too. It's great. You know, what's that doing? It's puffing up. It's pride. So we've got two things. We've got one that says I'm down here. I'm a nothing. God will never use me. I'm hopeless. You know, the reality is that that's our starting point. The first sin was a sin of pride. And pride puffs up and says, I can do it. I'm okay. Can we go to the next slide? The reality is that's our comparison. When I'm running the race, I thought about this, uh, uh, getting this ready, but then I forgot all completely about it because Simon is going to be my, my faithful assistant. <laughs> but when, we, when I'm running the race and I look around to see how I'm doing, what I actually see is a mirror, not somebody else. I see myself because it's the race that I'm in as I'm looking for the finish line. Something, how, how am I doing? How am I getting on? And what is my comparison? My comparison is Christ. Not other people. It's Jesus. So I've got to get to know him. And I've got to get to understand who he is and how this impacts on me. Um, this starts to unravel the next bit about, well, okay, if that's the case, then what is it that I actually do believe? How will I know? what I believe. Now the, the easy way to do that is probably the most uncomfortable way is actually have a look at your life. Take a video clip of your life. Take a recording. Now God gives us two ears to hear, two eyes to see what I hear and what I do. And it might be a little bit uncomfortable because what you look at when what you see about yourself actually might be, like, oh, really? Is that really me? Is that what I do? We can sing the songs and I can say, Lord, you know, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. Yes, screw you. <laughs> Lord, have your way in me. Yeah. Please stop singing for me. Okay. <laughs> you know? And walk off that. What was that about? Ooh, about an hour and two hours of church. Yes. <laughs> no. What happens when I get out in the street? Who's parked their car in front of me? I can't get out. I've got a meeting to go to. It's not really vodka. I've got something I've got to do. What are you doing in the car? Now, Anne will tell you, that actually was me. <laughs> you know? Stupid woman, what are you doing? And we're going, yeah, really impressing the girlfriend, Paul. <laughs> That's not a good idea. But well, what's that all about? Well, it starts to see, actually, if I think in my head on this, there's this wonderful word that somebody pointed out to me once called congruency. Uh, the congruency is matching up what I say and what I, what I do with what I believe. They actually need to marry up like this. So I'd encourage you, Take a, take a moment, take a look. Have a look in your life and see what is it that I do. Out of the mouth flow the issues of the heart. Or out of the mouth speaks what sits in here. 
that's a real good encouragement. It's a real good place to start. You know, when, I've, when I'm confronted with things, do the words that come out, are they negative? Are they spiteful? Are they hurtful? Are they vindictive? Are they life? Are they hope? You know, we, we're talking, Greg's been leading us through this whole pathway of bringing us into this kingdom thinking. When we're born again, he says, you know, Jesus said, where's the kingdom? You're all looking for it here. In fact, what you're looking for is somebody going riding on a big white horse, a bit like Pharaoh, and he's, yay. Whoops, might the Romans, mate, will take over the show. They said, you guys are missing it. I'm missing it. The kingdom sits in here. It's a spirit that's come into you that's alive. And when you grab hold of that, remember we're born again. We're born into his kingdom. The two kingdoms that we're living in. Kingdom of the world or the kingdom of God. Kingdom of the world is ruled by somebody else. It's ruled by Satan. The kingdom of God is ruled by God. Jesus Christ sitting on the throne at the right hand of God. It's him who rules in here. Here's the clincher though. We have to engage in that process of renewing our mind. Heart is born again. It's replaced. But we've got to take stock of what's going on in here and actually engage in that whole process. That's the sticky point. And this is something that the Lord really revealed to me. And one night Anne and I had a different opinion on something. (laughs) And I'm sure my opinion was right. (laughs) So I decided to no longer tell Anne about how my opinion was right (laughs) and go down to the lounge room and tell God how my opinion was right. And I was, for about an hour, struggling with God as I was praying and telling him what was, you know, this is not right. This is right. I am entitled to think this way. I know I'm right. I know that this is the right thing. You know, he's got such a sense of humor. He says, really? You really look like you're functioning in kingdom principle right now. (laughs) I mean, that other picture you might have seen was sort of like, you know, 24-pack. My stomach was tense and I was praying like this and tense. In fact, when I got to the end of it and I realised, actually, I wasn't right. I need to let that go. It didn't actually matter whether I was right or whether I was wrong. That wasn't the issue. The issue was how was I functioning in his kingdom principles, in his kingdom spirit. When I got to the end of that, I actually was able just to collapse before him and say, Father, it doesn't matter. I actually give that over to you. You know, when that happened, there was tremendous freedom came. It just released from me. And he showed me, it just took me straight back, and I think you find this around Genesis 32. Jacob had had a promise earlier on from God that he was going to bring him back to the land where he had come from. Some, I don't know, 7, 7, 7, 14, somewhere nearly 21 years later. He was on his way back. And I saw another verse in there this morning. First time I'd seen, I'd really, that one hit me. He was on his way back to see his brother Esau. And um, his father-in-law was chasing him because he thought he'd stolen a bunch of idols and what have you. And I'd managed to sort all that out. Father-in-law clears off. And there's one little line that says, and the angels of God appeared to him. And I believe they appeared to him to encourage him and keep, keep going. I'm leading you back. Because what he was about to face 
was what I just went through. He was worried and fearful about what was going to happen when he meets his brother. That's, that was like a sword, you know? Because <laughs> that's what he thought. He's going to smite me down. Very brave man. Sends his wife and children ahead of him. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm having enough trouble. You can have him. <laughs> you know, he sends the wife and children. Sends her over, and then he's left alone. And he's struggling with God. And he's fighting and he's wrestling with God. And that's what the father showed me. He says, Paul, you've just gone through a Jacob experience. You've wrestled this through with me. And you've come to a point of release and to be able to let that go. But there's something that will take us even deeper. To, to be able to get to that point was a journey that God had taken me on earlier on. When we're born into his kingdom, He's got kingdom principles and kingdom um, ways that we can identify with. Romans fourteen seventeen. This is a brilliant one. So, you know, even if I do say so myself, <laughs> this is a brilliant one. This is a real key. And I, and I really encourage you to write it down and hold on to it. Romans fourteen seventeen reads, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I've read that sung song of it for years, but it never really grabbed a hold of me. The message version says God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put into your stomach, for goodness sakes. It's what God does with your life as he sets it right and puts it together and completes it with joy. Your task is to single-mindedly serve Christ. In Philippians 4, it talks about, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or if anything is praiseworthy, think about such things. As we take a video of our lives, that's what we want to have a look at. As we're running this race and we look in the mirror, that's what we want to be comparing ourselves with. Are the words that I say, are they admirable? Are they um, right? Are they pure? Are they lovely? The things that I think about, the things that I watch, the things that I read, when I wake up in the morning and I'm thinking about my day and my things. Are these the descriptors that fit who I am? The righteousness, Anne and I have been, um, have just got into a position where we're able to look at whether we are able to buy a house or not. So we started to think, oh, oh. So we started getting through the papers and looking on the internet and getting, oh, oh, what can we do? What can we do? I don't know. And all this tension started to build up. When I read that verse, I thought, hang on a minute. What is the descriptor of the kingdom of God, king, the kingdom principle living in me? Is it anxiety and fear and tension? Uh, no, no, that wasn't right. It's righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Who's got the choice to step into that? I do. God's given me that authority and that right in his kingdom. 
So I need to do something that's going to allow me to step into that. He wants to make that become more and more apparent in everything that I do. It doesn't matter whether it's buying a house or buying an ice cream. It's about where I am, when I am, every moment of the day. Every breath I take, every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me. Your way is the kingdom way, the kingdom principles. So I've got to ask myself and always be aware and looking at myself, how was I behaving? What was going on? I love the verse that talks about your attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ. You know, this is the most amazing, I love this verse. That's the most amazing verse that talks about God's love for us. This, is, this, I believe, is the biggest miracle. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped and held on to. He let that go. Made himself nothing. Being found as a servant, made in human likeness. And he was obedient. Obedient to death, even at death on the cross. That leads on to something else. It leads on to a name that God gives him, a name that's above every other name name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We, we want to do that willingly. I don't, believe, I don't believe that God asks us to do something that we can't do. You know, when he says, be holy as I'm holy, I don't believe he's telling us to do something that we can't do. I believe that he's calling us to step into that We've got a lifetime to grow and develop it and always gets deeper and deeper. But we've got to choose to do that. So then I've got to ask myself, you know, I guarantee you, if you grab hold of this and you start um, to, to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life to walk into this, you'll get people thinking you're weird. And, you know, you don't have to talk like this over. Think you're weird. It'll be because... You don't, want, you don't want to watch rubbish on the movies or on telly or you don't want to watch rubbish on the internet or whatever. You don't want to swear or tell coarse jokes or to speak in harsh ways that are actually going to end up hurting people. You know, it, what the fruits, what are the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, anger, bitterness, hatred, oh hang on, not those ones, but they're the ones that I see in myself sometimes. Oh, I need to take stock of that and bring those other ones to the fore. But there's something that we actually have to be able to do. Here's Mr. Smurf. Can you do that for me now? <laughs> there's, there's something that we actually can do uh, that will help us and engage in that whole process. This is a bit where God really showed me one day. He really spoke into my heart. And I really identified with him. That first picture when I showed you about the, about the, um, the beggar, when I understood that that was my starting point. Lord, without you, that is me. I have nothing. I am nothing. I'm dust. Then the, very, the last picture where it shows Christ um, glorified, he says, this is how I see you. I'm clothed with Jesus Christ. He calls me a priest and a king. That allows me in the mornings when I pray, the first thing I do is I lay down on the ground and I say, Lord, see my heart. You know, I love the way the Bible's written. It's not what it, does, it's what it doesn't say that is just as impacting. He didn't, you know, when he, when he says, uh, the servants come to him, he says, depart from me. 
you didn't know me. That's not what it says. This is depart from me. Go over there. Get off off to that side because I didn't know you. So it's, it's relatively easy for us to get to know about Jesus Christ. You can pick up Bibles and pick up all sorts of things and read and find out about them. But he wants to know you. He wants to know the real you. And I Greg talked about it, scary thought, about himself in the shower. But crying out to God. He's talked to us once before about him being on the beach. Crying out to God. You know, I, I know, I, I really believe that God does speak to a lot of people in the shower. Because often, two things that happen. Physically and metaphorically, spiritually thinking, you're stripped naked. You've got nothing. No, none of this other word that's stacked with none of the other pretensions and things that you can bring along. It's just going to be you and God. And the other thing, usually there's no other noise going on. There's nothing else to distract you. And God starts to be able to deal with the real you. I remember myself walking on the beach one day and just crying out, God, it sucks! I cannot figure this out! I mean, for crying out loud, what are you? I mean wink or something, you know, and you know what, God, I really believe God's going, whew, finally, yeah, absolutely, finally, you're treating me like a real being, a real person, I'm not some sort of theological sort of mindset that sits ooh, out there somewhere, but I'm real to you, and you're treating me like a real person, and you're letting me see the real you. And when I'm real with him, he says, now you're getting to know yourself and I'm getting to know who you really are. All the stuff, we're going to deal with it like this. I'm not going to read it all out, I was going to, but in Romans 6, 3 to 14, it talks about the cross. It talks about identifying with what Jesus did on the cross. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? The problem that we have is that the flesh life's still alive and kicking. But he says that that part of us, all, all that he wants us to be able to do is to realise that. That when stuff is happening, and this is the difference between condemnation and conviction, condemnation says, see, no good, useless, hopeless, terrible. Conviction says, oh, that's not so good. What do you do with it? Oh, well, actually, I'm baptised into Christ's death. And he showed me on the cross. He says, Jesus died on the cross, but you know what, Paul? You've got to go there. You've got to unite yourself with Jesus Christ on the cross. I think, oh, that's a bit tough, isn't it? <laughs> you know, not so flash in that part, because that part is a death, a dying to myself. So when I identified or realised that, he started to unpack something else. He says, you know, the difference that we had with, um, with the Catholic Church and predominantly with the Protestant churches was that Christ was still on the cross. But he showed me, he says, not there anymore. He says, where am I? I was in the tomb. Oh, hang on, actually, no, you're not. You see that you've been through tomb through the ascension and seated at the right hand of the Father. But the place of victory begins, the place of freedom, the place of liberty begins on the other side of the cross. And there's no way to it except through the cross. But I tell you, once you've gone through the cross, there's amazing freedom on the other side. So I encourage you that, you know, as you 
as you ask yourself, well, Lord, what do I believe? Do I believe your word? I believe all the stuff you say about me. How am I acting and how am I living? Hmm, those things don't seem to line up. How do I get there? You get there by taking it to the cross. Now, that took me a bunch of years to work through that as God finally took me to realize when I can face things now and I identify and realize God pins things on me, the first place I go to now is I take it to him in my mind's eye. I take it to him on the cross and say, Lord, I am baptized into your death on the cross and I identify with the fact that you'll put that to death. And I see myself falling through the cross to the other side and I stand up, who am I? That's who you say I am, cloaked in Jesus Christ. I might have to speak that out, I might have to pray it out, I might have to keep um, repeating it out, but I'm going to stand in it and I'm going to believe what you say in your word about me. And I'm going to stand in that and allow that to transform me because it's been dealt with through the cross. So I'd encourage you, you know, that may not be uh, like that. That's a better one. It may not be like that. It might be a process. You might need to pray it through yourself. You might need to have prayer with others about it. You might need to journey with a counsellor about it. You may need deliverance. Or God might just hang on you. But it's part of a growth thing. So I don't want you to, to uh, for it to seem like it's being demeaned or something small. But it's something that God will transform your life when you realise, how will I change? I'll change via the cross. I'll come to the place of victory on the other side. Then I'll be able to start to walk in victory in who I am and in who Christ sees me. So I'd encourage you tonight, I'm going to wrap up there because it's nearly Tuesday. Um, uh, but I do want to give you um, the opportunity. Clay, if you, the guys can sing that last song that we played just before. If that is something that's, that's been speaking in your heart and there are things that you've identified and you realise with, within your life that you want to set right, it might be just a starting point. It doesn't matter whether you come up front, whether you stay where you are, whether you kneel, stand, or just close your eyes or whatever, but it's a place that you're going to go to with the Lord. The Holy Spirit wants to take you through that uh, cross experience, identify with his, with his death, but we're, once we've identified with his death, you're able to identify with his resurrection. It's that resurrection glory and the resurrection power that we do actually stand in. That's when the kingdom principle is able to flow like a, a, a flowing river through our life. So I encourage you to um, just take a moment while we wait for the music to come. While we just think, while, this, while the music's being played and while you're singing, just to worship before him and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to your heart anything that he's touching his finger on and wants to bring life to. Amen.